Welcome back in to the Impact Is On podcast, your home for all things Michigan State men's basketball. Uh, Trent Bailey here alongside Brendan Shabbat, Luke Sloan, your guys, the crew. Episode four, we're starting to get into a little bit of a role here, gentlemen, as all the Spartans, uh, 5-0. and So welcome back in. But first, we have to wish a happy 20th birthday to our guy right here, Brendan. Brendan, how was the birthday? It was great, actually. Thank you guys very much. It was good. We uh, had a couple people over here on uh, Saturday, safely, Saturday into midnight on Sunday, which was my birthday. And it seemed like everybody had a good time. I had a good time. So it was fun. Two decades on this planet, which is crazy. 2-0. You're officially not a teenager anymore, so you can't, right. take, any, you can't take any slander from anybody for being a dumb <laughs> teenager. Uh, guys, Christmas spirit is in the full swing. I don't know about you guys, but I'm just like slowly checking off the Christmas movies and, and like making the cookies and decorating the tree and all that good stuff. How are you guys feeling in the Christmas spirit? It's starting to look like Santa's workshop around my apartment. I was, I was just going to Obvi- say, you got the lights up behind you. It looks gorgeous. Obviously, the, the listeners of this podcast cannot see the visual, but Trent also has lights behind him. I, do. I have various lights behind me looking like Santa's workshop. I'm a little bit concerned, though, because starting last night, I started hearing running water in my apartment, which is never good. Um, <laughs> so I searched the whole apartment up and down, looked at all the pipes and stuff. Nothing was wet. And I've kind of determined that it's coming from the heating vents. I'm not sure if that's normal. Um, if you're listening to this podcast and it is not normal, uh, you can hit me up on Twitter at Luke Sloan 7 so we can get the problem solved. But uh, let's hope we have a Merry Christmas here because uh, if my apartment floods, it'll be a less Merry Christmas. But yeah, you know, I did I've, Santa- I've, had this, I've had a similar issue before. Uh, I was sitting in my living room in my apartment and the, the AC unit thing, it just, we heard like a waterfall inside of it and I was like that can't be right but whatever it worked itself out so you should be all right I did a Santa Claus triple feature this weekend uh shout out Tim Allen um great I did a home alone double feature the other night uh, alongside Sunday night football which was not that good so we're starting to check them off got a Christmas tree with my family uh Saturday you know very very nice uh I almost said vegetable. Very, very nice plant it's now sitting in our living room. <laughs> very, very nice um, vegetable. Chris, hey, what, what kind of tree do you guys get? Because my family, we're a Fraser fir family. We are a typically blue spruce family. Um, it's kind of been the standby, but we got a butte this year. So okay. I'm feeling good. good. You know, Christmas tree shopping, the perfect socially distanced activity. You know, yeah. it was built for 2020. Um, so, you know, we're getting into the holiday spirit here. I'm feeling pretty good. Brennan, what about you? What have you been doing? Uh, I just finished actually shopping for everybody yesterday. yesterday. Oh, look at you. Me and Sloan are over here talking about all the selfish things we're doing. Brennan's <laughs> up there giving. No, I, uh, I'm always – I get it from my mom. She's Black Friday. Next day she's done with everybody for the whole family. So I, uh, I definitely got that stuff out of the way pretty early. And I'm just ready to go home. And then to be back here in East Lansing Christmas Day for our, our tip-off against Wisconsin. Well, yeah, it's, it's very exciting stuff. It's, it is the most wonderful time of the year, to coin the phrase. Um, having a great time. So happy holidays, Merry Christmas, all that good stuff from the Impact Is On Crew. I'll probably continue to say that for the next three weeks because I just love it so much. But, fellas, we got a lot to unpack here. Michigan State Spartans are now 5-0, and jumping up to number four in the AP Top 25 this week behind only Gonzaga, Baylor, and Iowa. Big Ten foe there. Um, So let's talk about the Detroit Mercy game last Friday. The Spartans took down the Titans by a final of 83-76. to 
Rocket Watts had a career-high 23 points, 8 of 14 from the floor, pretty nice, four boards, four assists. Aaron Henry and Gabe Brown combined for 28. Henry also with 10 boards and six assists, continuing to show up. A little bit of a quiet game from Joey Hauser with only 10 points due to some foul trouble and stuff. Joshua Langford sat this one out with knee soreness. Uh, Izzo stuck with the same starting five, but slid Gabe Brown in for Langford. A.J. Hogard got some action, 19 minutes, four points, four boards, two assists. And uh, for the Titans, Antoine Davis had 24 points, Matt Johnson with 20. Exceptional showing for them in their season opener. Uh, a little bit closer than we anticipated, uh, if you go back and listen to our score predictions, but the Spartans got it done nonetheless. So I want to hear you guys' quick thoughts, just takeaways on the game. Brendan, we'll kick it to you first. Yeah, it was it was an interesting game for Michigan State. Obviously not the way they wanted to follow that win after Duke. Uh, I remember on the call, it was me and Luke, and uh, Sloan said it perfectly. It's just a sleepy start for the Spartans, and they really never woke up the whole game. They got – a little lucky on the second half with an interesting coaching decision by Mike Davis to leave Bull Cool and Willie Iciani in there uh, late in the game in some foul trouble. Both of them, their two most dominant big men the whole game for UDM, fouled out with five minutes left. And it was, a, it was a back and forth game at that point. It was a boxing match. And Michigan State was able to take advantage of that. And they got a lot of good looks in low. Julius Marble played really well, which was nice to see. A.J. Hogard. I was really impressed by him, not only for his stat line and how he played out there, but he was really composed for a freshman. Obviously, this isn't a Big Ten opponent, but, you know, it was a close game and a game that you obviously don't want to lose. You don't want to get upset after that big win against Duke. And he was composed and, and calm and, and made some really nice uh, heady plays, which was really good to see. But I'm sure Izzo was pretty upset after that win. They didn't play the defense that we had seen in the first three games of the year and they didn't shoot the ball very well. They had no answer for Antoine Davis. Um, so I was looking for them to run through Western Michigan after that. That didn't quite happen. So I think uh, Izzo's really hoping to get a good week of practice in before Virginia, before the Virginia game on Wednesday. Yeah, I echo a lot of your thoughts, Brendan. Um, you know, you and I talking on the broadcast, the three of us kind of texting back and forth, just a weird game. And it was a pretty perfect set up situation for a hangover game. Detroit Mercy had not played prior to that game. Uh, the Spartans had no tape on the Titans. And then further making that a problem, you know, this is a team built of transfers and freshmen. So they were looking all over the place for tape. Tom Izzo was saying, you know, they didn't know, you know, who was going to break out for them because they didn't have any tape on them. So they really went into this game pretty blind. You know, that was further hurt when Joshua Langford sat that one out, you know, Izzo said he could have played, um, you know, I a thousand percent believe he could have played. He played plenty of minutes against Western, but he did not play having his presence in there. Um, I'm sure didn't help things in terms of avoiding that upset, having his veteran presence in there. Um, you know, I didn't, they didn't shoot the ball particularly well. Um, you know, they had trouble guarding that two man game with Antoine Davis and Isiani, like Brennan and I broke down during the game. They're going to have to get that short up. Um, but Rocket Watts, I think, was a big plus. You know, he was their number one key to victory. Um, you, know, I, you know, Izzo talked a lot about what Foster Lawyer did as well in that game as kind of being a sneaky MVP. But Rocket, without his contributions, I don't think they win that game. You know, there were points when he just took over. Um, you know, he looked a lot better in the half court, which was something that we really kind of wanted to see him do. You know, he helped his teammates out a little bit more ran the break well, 
and scored in bunches and got after it defensively on Antoine Davis when it was needed in the second half. Um, so I don't think they win this game without him. Um, you know, it, it was a weird one. So I'm definitely going to say it, it definitely should have been more of a blowout for Michigan State. But considering the circumstances, I'm going to give them a little bit more of a break. You know, they weren't able to follow that up with a, a superior performance against Western. Um, but nevertheless, you know, Rocket Watts, I think that's the big positive. And then Gabe Brown as well. He hit some big corner threes for them when they needed it. He was quiet against Duke, kind of broke out against UAD. Um, so that was another pretty good development in, the, in an otherwise pretty sleepy game. Yeah, I think, you know, overall, when you look at this game and really the Duke game, I think the turnovers are the big, you know, question mark slash, you know, alert for the Spartans. You got to be a little bit more careful with the ball, but it is early in the season. And, uh, you know, Sloan, you're exactly right. You nailed it with Rocket Watts. I think anytime he's shooting eight for 14, I mean, that's 57%, you'll take it. You know, he's one of those players who could go six of 16 just like that. And it's, it's you know, it's nice to see him with such efficient play in the half court, pushing the offense and really not putting the team on his back, but getting the buckets when they're necessary and when the, this team really needs them. I think the Spartans were down by five points at one point in the second half with under like 10 minutes to go. So this was definitely a losable game. But, uh, Brendan, you brought it up, the, the foul trouble that the Titans bigs got into really uh, gave the Spartans a break. But, again, you have to remember, I mean, even the Duke game and this game against UDM, the really good teams find ways to win these kinds of games. And that's what the Spartans were able to do ultimately, and they're still undefeated because of it. Sloan? Yeah, I wanted to give a shout-out to um, – I think Aaron Henry said this after the game. He said, you know, credit has to be given where credit is due. You know, this is a solid Detroit Mercy team. They followed this loss against Michigan State up with a 78-70 loss at Notre Dame – a good Notre Dame team, the three of us watched them play. You know, we don't think they're going to be like world beaters, but we think that's a pretty solid fighting Irish team. They played them tight, and they didn't get a lot from Antoine Davis in that game. I think just 14 points for him in that game. But Mike Davis, obviously veteran coach, we talked about him a lot on the broadcast, was at UAB, was at Texas Southern, was at Indiana, both as a head coach and an assistant. You know, he had his group ready. You know, it's a talented and pretty deep group. He really built a better roster for this year. They went 8-23 and last year, so maybe the Spartans were overlooking that a little bit. But I think they're going to be a much better team in the Horizon League. Um, you know, not that that's an excuse for the way Michigan State played this past Friday, but it's not someone who is going to completely roll over. I think they're pretty solid. Yeah, I concur with you there. I think we all agree about the point you made about Notre Dame. Uh, so so you, you have to put some stock in this early season schedule for the Michigan State Spartans. I mean, hell, they're going to play Virginia coming up here. That'll be their second-ranked opponent in the first six games. Tom Izzo never schedules cupcakes. We all know that. And I think one more takeaway from this uh, UDM game, I think you just have to remember how important Josh, Lang Josh Langford's presence is on both ends of the floor. Um, obviously not quite where he was athletically a few years ago, but he's trying to get back to that point. And by taking a game off like this, you know, that's going to help him kind of get back to full, you know, full speed and 100%. And Tom Izzo really felt that his guys could win this one without Josh, and they ultimately did that. But you definitely, you know, look forward to getting Langford back in the, back in the mix. And uh, that's what happened against Western. So let's move on to the Western Michigan game. Sloan, you got something to add? I think the final little shout-out that I wanted to give from the Detroit Mercy game, you know, Brendan, you and I talked on the broadcast about the game that this guy had, but – you know, with no Langford, A.J. Hogard got a lot of run, 19 minutes off the bench, you know, like Trent said and wrote down. 
you know, he had some turnovers in the game that were kind of sloppy, but he showed some flashes of being an advanced player. Um, you know, he didn't get as much run against Western, which we're going to talk about now because Langford was back. But, I mean, that could be another bright spot for Michigan State. He showed up when they needed some minutes and played, you know, pretty solid action. And, you know, in terms of that point guard rotation for that game with Rocket getting the ball with the load, you know, Hogard and Lawyer got pretty much the same reps. So he played well, and that says something that he played just as much as one of Izzo's captains. Yeah, I believe they each played 19 minutes, so you're exactly right. Those guys backing up uh, Rocket Watts. But uh, the Spartans beat the Western Michigan Broncos 79-61 to on Sunday to complete the weekend doubleheader. Joey Hauser's turn for a career high in that one, scoring uh, 24 points, grabbing 10 rebounds for another double-double. Um, he's been exceptional so far this season on the glass. Aaron Henry came off the bench but uh, still played 31 minutes, scoring 12 points. Rocket Watts with 10. The Spartans shot 51% from the field in this one. Pretty impressive. So, uh, Brendan, what did you think of the starting lineup in this one? I thought it was interesting for Izzo to throw out Langford out there and keep Brown in instead of uh, Henry. We heard uh, on the broadcast that that was disciplinary for Henry being late to a film session. And I kind of like that from Izzo. And it's not a surprise to me that Izzo's that type of coach. I mean, I don't, Aaron Henry doesn't strike me as the type of player to get big headed and believe he is above the team. But I think Izzo was setting a precedent and setting an example to show that, you know, nobody's above anybody else. And, you know, you have to, everybody plays their part. You got to be on time to practice on time to film and stuff like that. And the starting lineup ended up working out a little bit. I mean, I definitely don't think Michigan state, quite had the, obviously they got the win, but they didn't, I don't think they got it in the fashion they wanted. They pulled away at the end, but I think the first half definitely should not have been as close as it was. Um, but, you know, you mentioned Joey Hauser had a good game. It was really nice to see him go out there and shoot the way he did because me, Sloan, us three, Eric have talked about it. You know, Hauser was advertised as this knockdown three point shooter. Who's going to spread the floor for Michigan state's offense, 25, 30 feet. And in the first four games, we really didn't see that a whole lot. He hit two threes against Duke, but that wasn't, you know, that wasn't major like the game today where now teams are really going to have to notice his shooting ability and respect it. And I think that's, that might give trouble to Virginia. But overall, you know, it's, it's uh, helpful to see that, in my opinion, Michigan State hasn't played their best game yet. I think their best game so far of the year was Notre Dame and they didn't finish that game the way they wanted to. Their reserves really hadn't gotten enough run to get into the mix. And obviously, you know, we're only five games into the season. The team's still developing and, and working chemistry together. But it is a little helpful to know that they haven't played their best basketball yet, and they're still 5-0 and and number four in the country. That's a great point. Uh, I was going to actually nail on that, too, because you're exactly right. Like, Eastern Michigan was maybe the only game that you can say the Spartans played flawlessly. And even then, I mean, it took Foster Lawyer's career high to really pull away there. But, um, yeah, the Notre Dame game, they kind of took their foot off the gas. The Duke game, the brutal start. Detroit Mercy was hanging in the balance really until the last three minutes. And even then, it, you know, came down to free throws and pulling away there. And uh, the Western game, you know, you just hit on it. So, Brendan, you're exactly right. This team really hasn't meshed completely yet. But it is still early, and I think that's got to give you confidence if you're a part of Spartan Nation just because this team, if they are able to figure it out and fire on all cylinders, it's going to be a very scary opponent. So, Luke, what were your thoughts on the starting lineup here in the, in the game in general? Yeah, I don't want to keep making excuses for this team. You know, that's not going to be the theme of what I present on this podcast. But another weird one 
You know, Western just had one game under their belt, a 66-62 loss at Butler, which was, you know, a productive loss for them, you know, showed a little something in Clayton Bates' first game as Western head coach. That was weird. And then the other thing weird as well was Aaron Henry, one of the leaders of this team, you know, the alpha in an ideal situation wasn't out there to start the game, you know, for disciplinary reasons, but not having him out there, just like not having Langford out there on Friday could have kind of ruffled some feathers and, you know, gotten them in a little bit more of an uncomfortable situation. But still, I, the, the one thing that I point out in this game that kind of led them through, other than the fantastic six three-pointer performance from Joey Hauser, the lineup in particular that I watched during this game that really sealed the win for them when they went on a pretty big run to pull away, it was Foster Lawyer at point guard, joined by Langford in the backcourt with Aaron Henry, and then the two bigs were Malik Hall and Joey Hauser. I find that interesting that they had success with that lineup. You know, that Foster, only he didn't score. Malik Hall only had two points. But I think there were a couple of players that were pretty big in the win for them. Foster Lawyer, they were pretty crisp in the half court when he was in there. Part of the reason why they pulled away. And then Malik Hall, you know, this team has really struggled to find fours and fives that are your typical physical Michigan State rebounders. You know, I think that's going to be a continued battle for them as they kind of get this rotation you know, set for what they want it to be for the majority of the year. But Malik Hall came in there and, you know, set a physical trend on defense. He battled down low and, you know, he got a lot of run when they pulled away from this Western Michigan team. So as Izzo continues to put lineups together and the way that the rotation is going to take, you know, shape out, I think it's interesting that that lineup really pulled away in this game for Michigan State. But I think the concerning thing in this one is there were points in this game when it you know, it looked like Western could have been the more physical team. You know, I look at guys like Thomas Kithier, Marcus Bingham Jr., Joey Hauser, uh, Malik Hall, Marble, all of the bigs, all the fours and the fives, I think need to step up their game a little bit more to kind of continue the tradition under Izzo of strong physical teams that are going to out-rebound you and outwork you on the boards. Um, that's definitely an area they're going to have to shore up because it, it kind of looked concerning and Izzo has said after every game this year that that's something that he wants to work on. So I got to think it's an area of high importance for them as well. Well, it's going to be a quick learning curve, no doubt. I mean, you look at some of the physical teams coming up on Michigan State's schedule here, and, and you know, when you play in the Big Ten, you know, we always talk about how that might be the most physical, you know, competitive conference in the whole nation this year. And it's looking like it's shaping up that way. So I want to present the question to you guys. What do you really think? Uh, this this big man rotation is going to end up looking like because Luke, you kind of nailed it. You you look at Julius Marble, Malik Hall, Joey Hauser, Thomas Kithier, Marcus Bingham, and even like Madi Sissoko could maybe even work his way in a little bit here and there as you get into conference play because too much depth can be an issue sometimes. You know when you don't have these guys at full confidence and really getting into a rhythm as the season goes on, and j at, the, at the same time you can really take their confidence away. You know, if they play 25 minutes one game and only five the next. So what do you guys think this big man rotation is going to look like, Brendan? You know, I think this is going to be a really interesting season for the front court for Michigan State. I'm not – the one player that I'm really confused about right now and where Izzo views him is Thomas Kithier because Kithier is an oddball for Michigan State. He has some good games here and there, and he has other games where he's really quiet. He hasn't had a breakout game yet, you know, where a, a 15, 17, you know, an eight game 
that we haven't seen that from Kithier yet. But Izzo has started him every game so far this season. And I think a part of that might be because Izzo really likes to have Marcus Bingham and Malik Hall come off the bench for Michigan State. And I like that idea too, but I wouldn't be surprised if we move later into the year that we see a Hall-Hauser or a Bingham-Hauser starting front court for Michigan State. I really think Michigan State's uh, offense in the, in the four and five spot is going to revolve around Marcus Bingham and Joey Hauser and Malik Hall on the defensive side. I really like Malik Hall. He, he's one of my favorite players on this team, just the way he hustles, the way he plays. I've been super impressed by the way Marcus Bingham has improved. And, you know, Joey Hauser has, is getting better and better every day. Um, but I definitely think that Kithier is, might be one of those players that has to, you know, either carve a role for himself out or he's going to be a role player for this team for the rest of his career. I'm going to plant my flag a little bit on this one, kind of like I did earlier in the year with Foster Lawyers starting out of the gate. I got that prediction right. You know, it didn't last. Rocket Watch stepped in. But my bold prediction, I don't want to be known for someone who has outlandish bold predictions on this podcast. We're, start, we're setting some guidelines here. But I'm planting the flag. I think Malik Hall starts against Virginia. Um, I think that Tom Izzo was very, very concerned about what he was seeing from his bigs in that Western game. And I think he's going to send a message to the group by starting Malik Hall against Virginia. He put Malik Hall in there against Western, and he got the majority of the run when it mattered over guys like Bingham and Kithier and Marble alongside Joey Hauser. And I think that Izzo enjoyed how Malik Hall stepped up in that game. You know, you, know, you call him a Rodman-type player, Brendan. I know Trent's a big Rodman guy. He's tough. I mean, he played play through injury, like you saw him fall against Duke, injured his finger against UD Mercy, but he kept playing hard. Um, I think that that surprise in the starting lineup is going to come with the start from him. You know, Marcus Bingham Jr., eight points and a block and a few rebounds against uh, Detroit Mercy. He took some shots in that game on the offensive end that I don't think Tom Izzo is going to stand for. He took a three, a couple, took a couple of long twos, I think. Um, you know, it's kind of sad that that's being evolved out of his game. You know, honestly, for him, I'm kind of disappointed about that. You know, he was supposed to be someone who could kind of stretch it for them. I hope they don't fully abandon that for his sake as a, a future pro player. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see how this, you know, how this kind of irons itself out. Malik or Julius Marble got a lot of run against Duke. Maybe he gets a lot of run against Virginia in a bigger game. But another thing that I think I'm going to say – for this Virginia game is maybe this is the point where that rotation thins out a little bit more. You know, I'm not saying it's going to be this game, but if there's going to, if there is a game on the horizon for them where we could get an indication of what it's going to look like down the stretch, maybe it's this one, maybe, maybe they shorten up that bench, um, but it's still a fluid situation. Yeah, there's definitely still some question marks. And I think that's kind of a fun thing to watch as a member of the media. And as a fan, it's kind of just like you, I, uh, for me personally, the two I've been most impressed with in that front court mix are uh, Joey Hauser, of course, and Malik Hall. Now, you, of course, could slide Julius Marvel in there because he stepped up in the biggest game all season. And, Luke, you're exactly right. You could turn to him again because he definitely seems to be that guy who's unfazed. But um, it's just interesting, and it's really fun to watch this kind of front court uh, group of guys really take shape here because we knew coming into the season that that was going to be a big point of emphasis all year for the Spartans, really. And it's kind of an embarrassment of riches, really, if you look at it. But 
Um, Joey Hauser has been unbelievable this season. Uh, he's probably been the Spartans' most consistent player thus far. Uh, so I'll use that to segue into the Virginia game, unless you guys have anything else to add on Western. But um, the Spartans will travel to play number 18 Virginia in the ACC Big Ten Challenge on Wednesday. Like I said earlier, this will be the Spartans' second-ranked opponent in just the first six games. The big story here is obviously the Hauser brothers playing each other. Uh, Joey for MSU, Sam for Virginia. They played together at Marquette before transferring. Uh, both lead their teams in scoring, and listen how close this is. 14.5 points per game for Sam and the Cavaliers, 14 points per game for Joey for the Spartans. So it's going to be a battle. So what do you guys, who do you guys see having the better game here? Which Hauser brother outduels the other? You know, I think Sam Hauser for Virginia plays a little more of a potent role in their offense. I think if he takes a night off, their whole team kind of takes a night off. Um, whereas Joey, as we've already seen, can go a little quiet on some nights and will get picked up by somebody like Gabe Brown or Rocket Watts or Aaron Henry or Marcus Bingham. Um, so I think Virginia needs Sam Hauser to play better. But I think with the way that Virginia has been playing these past couple games, I think Joey is going to have a better game uh, on Wednesday night. Um, you know, the, I've been really impressed with Sam Hauser. He's shooting almost 60% from the field, 75% from the line, which is pretty good for one of the bigger guys on the team. But the stat that kind of jumped out to me was the assist leaders for each of these teams. Obviously for Michigan State, it's Aaron Henry with just over five assists per game. Uh, but for Virginia, it's junior point guard Kihei Clark, who's only averaging – just under three assists per game. And, you know, we know Michigan State as a team to really pass the ball and assist well on all offensive possessions. But Virginia, who struggled so far this season, hasn't been able to do that. And I'm not sure I haven't watched a ton of film on them, but I'm, I'm wondering if that might be a part of their struggles. Obviously, we saw them lose that one-point game to San Francisco, which was the early upset. Um, and then they, they went to overtime with Kent State uh, from Ohio, which is just something that, you know, you don't want to do if, if you're Virginia. But, um, you know, Tony Bennett is, is one of the best coaches in college basketball. You know, we saw the, the comeback that they had in March Madness uh, two years ago after getting after losing in the first round to 16 UMBC. He got them right back to a national championship the next year. Um, and Virginia is definitely going to be ready. But I think uh, it'll be interesting to see the Hauser Bowl play out. But I expect Joey to have a better game. You know, I was talking to my dad, friend of the podcast, um, two nights ago, I believe he made this point to me, but he said, hey, Michigan State, they're playing the defending champs. And I was like, the defending champs? And then I was like, oh, wait, we had no tournament this year. So technically, Virginia still rules the roost in terms of men's college hoops. Um, so they are playing the defending champs, which is just a weird nugget. But Tom Izzo said, you know, he's preparing his players for a pretty memorable, emotional game. Um, you know, and that has to start with the Hauser Bowl. I mean, great matchup, but it's going to be, you know, that driveway moment for Sam and Joey, like we were talking about when they were kids. Um, I'm going to take Sam, though, in the which Hauser brother outduels the other one. He leads the Cavaliers in minutes by a pretty wide margin. He gets a lot of run. He takes a lot of their shots. Um, very efficient from three, you know, whereas Joey Hauser really is just starting to break out from beyond the arc. Um, and I think that it's – I think this is – you know, I'm not taking anything away from Joey's game or adding anything to Sam's game. I just think that Sam is going to need to do more in a Virginia win than Joey's going to do in an MSU win, just like Brendan said. 
um, kind of mimicking his point there. Um, but, yeah, he takes a lot of shots. Very good from three. I was looking at their uh, stats. 43.8% from three um, to technically lead the team. You know, they have a lot of really good three-point shooters. Um, but he gets a lot of run, and they rely on him a lot. So I think he's going to have the better game of both of them. But I'm really excited to see that matchup. Um, you know, a couple guys who are playing well and really starting to round into form. A couple teams that are going to have, you know, lofty expectations come tournament time. Um, you know, I'm going to start cranking up the, hey, maybe they'll match up in the final four talk after this one. But it's going to be a fun storyline to watch for sure. Yeah, we'll get to the predictions in a little bit. But, you know, along with your guys' logic, I kind of agree that I think Sam might have the better game uh, just because you talk about his usage rate and, and how much this team really relies on him for offense. But I definitely think, you know, with that being said, Joey's going to have his fair share of, I mean, maybe even ISO plays against his brother. It's going to be fun to watch. So everybody tune into that. Um, but I want to ask you guys this. Will this game be tougher or easier than the Duke matchup? Because we saw that game. We saw the Spartans kind of come out with a little jitters really isn't the word, but it was just kind of couldn't really hold on to the ball, a little bit of a turnover bug. Uh, and that kind of put them in a hole early, but they were able to really put together a remarkable second half and really even a back end of the first half. So um, you, what, what do you see happening here? Do you see this being a little bit tougher of a test for the Spartans? as opposed to the Duke game, Brendan? You know, I think the the part, the aspect of this game that's easier for Michigan State, not necessarily on the floor, but is is the scouting. We've seen Virginia play four games so far this season. They've lost one. They've gone to overtime with one. So uh, Tom is going to have film on what uh, other teams have done to limit Virginia um, in, in the best way possible. And that the same goes for Virginia, too. They're obviously going to look at the Detroit Mercy film and see what worked for UDM on offense. They're going to look at the Duke film and see how Duke was able to get out to a quick start and, and, and make it close uh, in the beginning. But that was Duke's second game of the season. Their first game was against a measly opponent in Coppin State. You know, Michigan State had only had two games under their belt. So I think there's a lot less challenges going into the game on Wednesday against Virginia than there were for the Duke game. But – you know, Duke's a really tough team, and so is Virginia. They're both going to be really good in the ACC this year. I, I, I'm excited to see those two teams face off against each other. Um, but I think just with Cameron Indoor being the venue that it is, with Duke being the team that they are, and with the history prior to the Duke matchup, I think that Duke game is probably going to be a little bit more difficult uh, than this Virginia game will be for Michigan State. I do expect Michigan State to win, and I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I think it's going to be another really good game like the Duke game was, and it's going to be pretty close. Um, but I think Michigan State's going to have a little bit uh, better way with Virginia. I'm going to play devil's advocate just a little bit. Um, you know, I think that you make a really, really good point, Brendan, about the kind of preparation that's going to be put in, you know, and having that film in hand. You know, we talked about it with UAD. We talked about it with Western. You know, with Duke, barely any film. You know, that's just going to be a COVID weird thing as the season goes along. Um, but I think that I'm coming in this with the perspective of, you know, thinking about Tony Bennett, like you mentioned, elite coach. I have a lot of respect for what he does with Virginia. Um, I think that, you know, they lost to San Francisco earlier in the season. They almost lost to Kent State on Friday, the same, play, the same day Michigan State played. And they had plenty of practice to get ready for this game. I'm going to say that the difference between this game and the Duke game is that for that Duke game, you know, they had a little less less preparation. You're talking about Duke. Um, but this Virginia team, I think they have more time to prepare 
So I think they're going to be pretty ready to play this game. You know, this is a pretty marquee game for them to start the year, um, you know, at home. You know, the Hauser Bowl, they're taking, to, they're taking that just as seriously as Michigan State is. But I'm kind of, kind of coming in this situation with kind of, you know, an opposite view of you, you know, in terms of like the preparation. Like, you know, they have more film, which could make it easier, but then more time to break down that film could make it harder. Um, so I think, I think, you know, we might have to get a Twitter poll or something going because I think that's a pretty tight uh, comparison. Yeah, either way, it's going to be another marquee matchup, another ranked opponent for Michigan State. Let's do the predictions now. Uh, I've got the Spartans winning 68-63. I think they're going to get there by playing some great defense. And, you know, we know Tony Bennett and Tom Azor are both, you know, exceptional coaches known for their defense and, and their physicality. So this could be a bloodbath, but it probably won't be a shootout. That's just the way that I see it. I, don't, I think both defenses are going to come to show up. It's going to be a lot of down low, banging down low, and I think that's where the Spartans really hold advantage. We talked about that front court depth earlier, but Brendan, who wins and how do they get there? Yeah, you know, Trent, you bring up a really good point about how it's going to be a close game, um, but I don't think it's going to be a barn burner. Um, I, instead of arbitrarily throwing out a number like I have in the past couple predictions, I'm going to back mine up with some facts this time. Michigan State comes into this game uh, having scored 80 points or more in three out of their five games so far, they're averaging 80 points per game, just 74 for Virginia. But Michigan State is also allowing 11 more points per contest so far this season in the five games that they've played than Virginia. Virginia plays really good defense. They're one of the top 10 defensive teams in the nation per Ken Palm right now. So I do think it's going to be a really close one. I think Izzo is going to hound on Michigan State's defense or what has hounded on Michigan State's defense in this past week of practice. So I do think you're right. I think it's going to be a pretty close one. Um, I'm going to go because of that Michigan State's lowest scoring game this season at 70. And then I think Virginia at 65. I'm going to go with a pretty brutally low score for this game. I think both teams are going to get back to their bread and butter on this one. And it's going to be an absolute slug fest. I think They'll pick it up a little bit more in the second half. But I think that first half, you're going to see some scoring totals up on the, the marquee after one half where you're like, oh, my goodness, you know, this team only scored this amount of points and this team scored this amount of points. Um, I think that my final score prediction, being consistent with what we predicted before the season, I predicted a loss. I'm going to stick with that. I'm going to say that Michigan State loses 63-59. Now, I don't think that people around East Lansing are going to be too happy with a 59-point output, but Brendan, like you mentioned, they, uh, they, the Cavaliers hang their hat on their defense. They call it uh, – what do they call their defense? Um, any, can anybody pick me up? They I can't. It, uh, I'm sorry. I'm a bad oh, host. I, I have no idea. Oh, man. Dang, I'm going to have to look it up after this podcast, or maybe it's going to come to me. I, I got to continue to roll on here to preserve on-air quality. But Virginia's got some quality three-point shooters, which I think is an X factor in this game. You know, Sam Hauser, 43%. Jay Hoff, he's a 40, almost 3% shooter. Some other three-point shooters on their team who get over 20 minutes per game. There's a 41% shooter, a 53% shooter, another 50% shooter, a guy who gets 25 minutes a game who shoots 40% from deep. You know, the Spartans' perimeter defense is going to have to show up for this one, and I think that could be an X factor and a win for Virginia, but I'm seeing a defensive slugfest for this one. 
Interesting little nugget about this Virginia team, though. While they are three and one on the season with the one loss, obviously being against San Francisco, they are just two and two against the spread, and they are favored by one and a half points right now going into this game. Just a little tidbit out there for the betters that are looking at this one. I remember it's pack line, pack line defense. That's pack line defense for the Cavaliers. That's that's gonna. I I think both teams are gonna be uber prepared for this one. I don't think either one of them is going to, like, look foolish in this game. I think both coaches have things to work on with their teams, obviously with, you know, some non-conference results that both coaches don't like so far. Um, but that pack line defense, that's what I forgot about, that's going to be that key to victory for Virginia. Pack line defense for the Cavaliers, Spartan dog defense for the Michigan State Spartans, Brendan with a five-point victory for the Spartans, myself with a five-point victory for the Spartans, and Luke Sloan, with a four-point victory for the Cavaliers. We all think this is going to be a defensive slugfest, so everybody check it out. It's going to be a really good game. And the Hauser Bowl, of course, being the extra narrative, uh, you might get a little Sports Center love at the end of the night with that one. So uh, let, let's roll in here and let's just check on the Big Ten before we put a bow on this episode. Um, the Spartans are the only team with five wins now in the Big Ten, uh, but Rutgers, Ohio State, Northwestern, Michigan, Iowa, Minnesota, and Maryland all remain undefeated as well as Michigan State. I've got a couple questions for you guys just based on uh, contests we've seen in the past week or so. Uh, did your opinion on Illinois change at all after the 13-point loss to Baylor, Brendan? I think not necessarily my opinion on Illinois changed. I think my opinion on Baylor definitely changed. I thought Baylor was a little bit overrated. I've hated Baylor in March the past couple of years because they always lose me a game um, and they always underperform. But that was a Baylor team that I have never seen before. They were so uh, physical defensively and athletic and get after you. And the energy that they brought in an empty gym, uh, I believe in Baker's Life Fieldhouse that, you know, Sloan, you and I have been there, how big that place is. It was loud when Baylor was playing good. And I think Illinois, the people that changed, that my opinion changed on would just be Kofi Coburn and Io DeSumo. Those were two people that I expected to really get up for that game and show out, and I expected Illinois to win that game. But I would assume it went kind of quiet. I believe he finished with 18. He had about like six or seven of those in the final five minutes when the game was kind of already in hand. Um, Kofi Coburn, I think, got in foul trouble pretty quickly and finished with five points or less. You know, And, and Illinois is definitely going to need better out of both of them if they want to stay uh, you know, in one of the top five teams of the country so far but that Baylor team was is really good and I, I really like the way they're playing I was very upset that I wasn't able to change the channel over from Michigan State football against Ohio State to the Gonzaga Baylor game last Saturday that was scheduled uh, but canceled due to COVID this Baylor team can play some big time defense I mean the combination of coaching length and athleticism discipline and toughness on that side of the floor for the Bears I mean you know, this is a top five team in the country defensively, in my opinion. I think Illinois helped them. I think Desumu, Coburn, others, Adam Miller, I think they took a lot of bad shots in that game. I wasn't super happy with the discipline they had on the offensive end. I think Brad Underwood's going to get that ironed out. Um, and, you know, there has to be something said about the stage of this game for this Illinois team. They were going to make the tournament last year. They were going to make noise in the Big Ten tournament last year, but they aren't used to necessarily playing in these tip-off classic games in some big stage games. So this was kind of their debut on a bigger stage. I think that may have spooked them a little bit. 
Um, but I expect Brad Underwood to get those issues ironed out about bad shot selection. Obviously, they'll get you know though. I mean, I, it's not a huge stage, obviously, because there's no fans. But it was a national TV game, you know, against a marquee non-conference opponent. You know, they're going to get more comfortable as the season rolls along, playing together. Um, but I agree with Brendan that this isn't as much about Illinois for me as it is about Baylor. I think they're very, very strong under Scott Drew this year. Yeah, the loss for the Illini ultimately dropping them to number six in the AP Top 25, but that is nothing to, uh, to cry about whatsoever. They're still an exceptional ball club. I want to ask you guys also about Wisconsin, another Big Ten team that has had lofty expectations, lost a, you know, a pretty tight one to Marquette, unranked opponent. So what do you guys think there? What do you think, Brendan? You know, I, I've mentioned it on this podcast before, and you're going to hear it from me all year. I love March. And I love getting games right. So I am always watching college basketball. The Creighton-Kansas game just ended right in front of me. That's a one-point win for Kansas on a free throw that Creighton should have made. Regardless, I, I was looking at the slate of games the day that Wisconsin and Marquette were playing. And Marquette has always been a decent uh, Big East program. You know, not great, not terrible. They've had some good players. And I knew that. And I know how good Wisconsin is. And I saw that game, and I said to myself, maybe I should make some time to watch that one. And I went about my day, and I forgot the time it tipped off, and I didn't end up watching it. And sure enough, I get the ESPN alert later in the game. Or I, I checked the score, and uh, it was like a one-point game. And then I couldn't find the channel, and I didn't see how it ended. I eventually saw it on Twitter later. So I didn't get to see a whole lot of that. I haven't watched Wisconsin yet this year. But the one thing that I'll say is rebounding and free throws are the teams that really do well in March. And – uh, although Marquette missed their free throw at the end, uh, there was a Wisconsin player, number 10, I don't remember his name, missed the box out, was the fatal box out that allowed the Marquette tip to go in, and then tried to blame it on somebody else. So, I, you know, I haven't seen Wisconsin play a lot. Obviously, they're still a good team. It's a two-point loss, you know, to an in-state rival. That's kind of a trap game. But you got to box out on free throws. You have to box out. I've learned that since fourth grade, and I know every other basketball player has too. Yeah, I think I'm feeling the same way about this game as you, Brendan. Just some fatal flaws down the, st down the stretch for the Badgers that cost them this game. You know, some flaws defensively, trying to pick up a charge on one of the final possessions. You know, that didn't work out, got called for the block. Um, you know, just little things to clean up. A couple of coaching things with Greg Gard that I kind of picked up on as well. You know, this Marquette team doesn't have Marcus Howard anymore. Um, you know, they created both the Hauser brothers, who we're going to see start about this time tomorrow, a couple of hours, a couple of hours, and then 24 hours. Um, but it's a quality Marquette team. You know, they're always going to be a pretty much a tournament team. Um, you know, they're not making a ton of noise. They're kind of a popular pick for me that usually falters in the tournament. Um, but I'm not too concerned about this one for Wisconsin. Um, you know, Greg Gard, they struggled a little bit at the beginning of last year, and he really got them going toward the end of last year, um, you know, kind of Izzo-esque in that regard to where his team was really rolling toward the end of the year and then won a share of that Big Ten title. Um, I think, you know, they, they have some things to work on, just like Illinois, just like Michigan State. Um, but I, I like the Illinois game. Um, you know, I don't read into this a ton for them because I think they're going to continue growing. But one thing that could be concerning about this game is they're a veteran group. Um, these mistakes aren't you know, that excusable because they're a little bit older of a group. Um, so if there is something concerning, it would be that you don't expect that from guys who've been around the block um, and certainly not guys who've been around the block at Wisconsin. 
Yeah, well, the Big Ten, nonetheless, still uh, with a pretty good showing nationally here. Just to recap, Iowa currently number three, Michigan State number four, Illinois number six. Uh, let me keep going here. Wisconsin number 13. Uh, we got Rutgers at 21 and Ohio State at 22. So it's, it, the bloodbath continues as this collision course of these Big Ten programs march on towards the conference schedule. Fellas, do we have anything else to add? Make your free throws. Creighton got fouled on a three-point shot down by three and missed the third free throw. If you want to win in March, make your free throws. Any kids listening, if you're a basketball player and you're here this, go out 15 feet from the basket, make 10 shots. Just the, fundamentals. Just the fundamentals, kids. I got a question. What is the free throw of recording a podcast? What's the one thing that you can't do before the podcast or during the podcast that you have to nail when it's in I got it. You can't mispronounce someone's name. So I missed two free throws at the beginning of the year by calling Brendan Shabath, Brendan Shabath for two full episodes before we finally got our crap together. But that, I don't know. What do, what do you guys think? What's the free throw of a podcast? No, I think, I think the name is correct. That goes for players, coaches, teams, mascots, yeah. whatever. If you get a name wrong, that's, that's an easy one. You, that, that's look upable information. You know, that's Googleable information. You got to get the names right. It's look upable information from Brendan, Brendan Shabbat. There we go. I'm going with not being prepared or not being super prepared for like predictions like, for example, I missed a free throw during that, uh, with the, during that Western Michigan game. I was like, I don't know who plays for Western Michigan. I know they have a new coach, but I don't really know who's going on the floor for them. In the Shut future, up. Luke, got to at least look over that roster, look over the stats, maybe a quick glance over a few articles. You know, that's an easy one. That, you know, it's not going to make your prediction, but it'll, you know, it'll at least convince some people that your prediction sounds a little bit smarter than it ends up being. If I can shine my own shoes, toot my own heart a little bit, I did mention Beardis White in the last podcast for the Western Michigan Broncos. Led all scorers on that team with 19 points. Really solid player for them. Just wanted to put that out there. Hey, good job. Good job, Brandon. Nice stuff. Always, always coming with the best analysis here on the Impact Is On podcast. But, fellas, I think that's all we got. We'll put a bow on it, wrap it up in the, in the spirit of the holidays. Uh, so for everyone here at the Impact Is On, happy holidays. We appreciate you listening to us. Michigan State, Virginia happening on Wednesday. We might have another episode coming for you later this week, at the very least early next week. Uh, all of your Spartan basketball coverage is here at the Impact Is On podcast. Check it out. Uh, tell a friend. Tell your friends. Tell all your friends. Tell your family. Um, and we will see you next time.